Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadeh. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestas for that opening music. And just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of the show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. A special thank you to our newest sponsor, The Uptake, where I work as executive director. For their support of this show, you can check out The Uptake's work at www.theuptake.org. Today's a different episode than our usual. We're live for the very first time, and we're talking about election 2020. Now, I'm going to admit, this is my first time being live on radio in many, many years. So what we're going to get is going to be a little bit more um, maybe natural and unedited than you typically get, but I'm really excited to be sharing this with you. Tonight, we're going to have breaking news as it comes in. Uh, we'll be announcing races once the Associated Press has called them. We'll have the chance to hear from each of you. We'll have lots and lots of music. We'll have lots of interviews uh, pre-recorded earlier in the day about 2020 voting and what comes next, no matter who wins. And we'll be hearing from local community leaders. Thank you for joining us for this very special episode. And thank you for listening. Just a reminder that you can call in at any point. The call in number is 651-313-5125. We'll begin tonight with some music, If You're Out There, by John Legend. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation, we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late. We've been looking for a song to sing. We search for a melody, search for someone to leave. We've been looking for the world to change. If you feel the same, then go on and say. Says, no more call to war Unless it's love and peace that we're really fighting for We can destroy hunger We can conquer hate Put down the arms and raise your voice We're joining hands today
right. So that was John Legend's If You're Out There. And I'm going to admit that I actually heard that song for the first time today and just fell in love with it. I knew that it was going to be the theme for today's episode. So we do have some, you know, results are going to be a little weird for this election. We can't be 100% sure when we're going to hear from all of the states, but we do have some races. And as I said, we're going to be calling them based on the Associated Press just because they are the most legitimate um, and reputable source when it comes to calling um, presidential races. So Donald Trump has won South Dakota, not a big surprise. And Joe Biden has won New York, again, not a big surprise. Um, Donald Trump has won North, um, North Dakota as well, as well as Indiana and Arkansas. Uh, Joe Biden has won Virginia um, and Vermont. And then Donald Trump has won Kentucky and West Virginia as well as Alabama, Mississippi, and Joe Biden has taken Connecticut and Delaware. So there's some really interesting, um, I think, races that are still going to be called today. It's so hard to know. I mean, Minnesota's polls have just closed, though, because my organizer friends will kill me if I don't say it. If you're still in line and have been in line since before 8 o'clock, stay in line. There is no you do, you are legally allowed to still vote so you can stay in line. Now, today, Secretary of State, uh, Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon held a press conference at 4 p.m. today to talk about how Minnesota is going to be counting its ballots, and specifically its absentee ballots and its early voting ballots. So I'm going to play a, about a 15-minute segment from that press conference where he talks about the sort of how-to. I just think voter literacy is so important. And as we're waiting for kind of more results to come in both on the local races and on the national races you know i want to make sure that we're hearing from uh the people who help make those decisions so i'm going to play that next okay hi everybody happy election day uh for me and i'm sure for many of you or you wouldn't be in this business this is a fun day this is an interesting day this is an exciting day it's kind of like the super bowl and the world series combined at least for me so uh fortunately so far it's a happy day in terms of um, what to report. And this might be a very short briefing in the sense that it's really more about the absence rather than the presence of things to report uh, in a good way. So let me first start out with the numbers because uh, I know many of you are interested in that. I just want to reiterate the latest numbers. I don't have any brand new numbers to report on the absentee front. Uh, I, you may have seen we did a website update this morning. So let me just repeat those. We will have more later, but more on that in a minute. Um, applications so far, and re remember applications includes those who asked for an absentee ballot, went to a website, asked for it otherwise, and it includes everyone who's a registered voter who lives in a precinct in a mail-only jurisdiction. Um, these are jurisdictions in Minnesota, for those who are new to the call. Uh, uh, Minnesota's had a law since 1987 that allows all townships outside of the Twin Cities metro area and all cities with 400 or fewer registered voters, not people, registered voters, if you fall into that category, you may at your option get rid of your polling place. There is no polling place. And all registered voters in those communities automatically every election, primary, special, general, doesn't matter. Without asking, they automatically get a ballot mailed to them. So it includes everyone who's asked for one and everyone who lives in one of those jurisdictions and is already a registered voter. So that number is 2,129,804. That's 2,129,804. The accepted ballots so far as of this morning, 
was 1,846,668. 186668 that still represents about 62 almost 63% of the 2016 total turnout anyone who voted in any way shape or form in 2016 uh, the difference between those two numbers is 283136 283136 but again that number is a ceiling and that number is deceptively high as we've discussed in prior briefings but again for the benefit of those who are new to this briefing it includes or it takes into account a couple different um, factors. First, as I said, it includes everyone who's registered in a mail-only precinct. And even at 80% turnout in mail-only precincts, that means 20% of people will just never send a ballot in. They never intended to, and, and they, they won't probably this time. So that number is gonna go down based on, on them. It also, by definition, includes a lot of people, we think a lot, hard to know what a lot is, who will vote today. Meaning they ordered an absentee ballot, sure, maybe it's been sitting on their kitchen table or their coffee table for a while, but they decided for whatever reason, maybe the weather, maybe something else, that they wanted to go in today. So that number is going to decline. It will also decline because there are some that have already come into various uh, counties that have not yet been processed. Maybe they came in yesterday, maybe they came in the day before or the day before that, and they haven't yet been processed. So all the counties are going to have more time to process. So that number is going to continue to go down. Let me talk a little bit about the numbers that we will be furnishing you. As I promised in prior briefings, um, this is consistent with that. So tonight after the polls close, I'm not sure what time, but as close to eight o'clock as we can get it, subject to uh, the data demands and the number crunching, but we think fairly closely after, or fairly soon after eight o'clock, we will provide an updated list and report of outstanding absentee ballots. In other words, that delta between the number requested and the number actually processed and accepted at this point. But again, those numbers will not reflect who voted today. They will not reflect who voted today, and they won't for some time. So just know that that number is going to continue to go down, down, down. Tomorrow is when we will start about the character and quantity of the votes in the segregated pile. We had the Eighth Circuit decision last Thursday that said any ballot that comes in after 8 p.m. tonight, election night, will have to be segregated in a separate pile. Of course, we in all the counties will do that. We will abide by the, the, the ruling of the court. Um, but here's where it gets a little bit tricky, and we're counseling patients from all Minnesotans, including all members of the news media. Um, obviously, this week-long period is by design, by design of the legislature in part and by design of the courts in part. But here's what makes it um, a little bit tricky. Um, so as you know that we've advised all counties to do a daily report for the subsequent several days. So we advise all 87 counties, please do a daily report on Wednesday so that we can report something to the public and to the news media on those days. We don't have guns and badges in our office, as we often say. We don't have any power to compel counties to do that. If they wanted to go silent on us and on you and on the folks in Minnesota, they could do that. But we think we have substantial hopefully complete buy-in by all counties that they will report to us on a daily basis. And we tried that out in the primary and with a few, very few exceptions, they did that during the primary and we expect that or even higher compliance um, in the general election. So we're gonna do a daily report on the votes that have been processed during that day. But they don't necessarily mean that those are the votes that were received during that day. So for example, tomorrow, Wednesday, we'll give you a report based on what the counties tell us. But the legislature provided this year 
that all counties will have an extra two days after the election to process even the things that they got up till eight o'clock last night. So what I'm trying to say is, as we're all trying to determine the scope of the pile of segregated ballots that could be subject to litigation seeking their invalidation, tomorrow and Thursday in particular are gonna be tricky. Why? Because the legislature has provided 48 hours, two days to process the stuff that's already come in. So tomorrow's report about what the counties have processed and counted will include um, everything that came in yesterday, probably, but it may also include some things that have already come in. So it is not necessarily the case that everything that changes from tonight to tomorrow represent ballots that are in the in the in the in the, uh, the segregated pile. That isn't necessarily the case. The ballots will be segregated, and ultimately that number will be knowable. But I just want to caution that if you see an X Y Z county that between tonight and tomorrow they processed an extra thousand ballots, that does not mean a thousand ballots are in the segregated pile. It could mean that 200 of those 1,000 were leftovers. Um, the legislature said that they could have two extra days if they got slammed and maybe they feel slammed and they're still processing that. So it's not a perfect match. And I know that's, uh, you know, we would all uh, hope and prefer that it was a perfect match, but it just won't be because the legislature did provide for people to have two extra days, again, until Thursday night to process the stuff that's already come in. So we will try from the counties to get as clean a count as we can, but just understand that there's gonna be some of that merging in there. So to repeat, um, uh, sorry if I'm overemphasizing this, but what you see tomorrow in County X as having been processed tomorrow does not necessarily mean things that came in tomorrow, that came in the mail on Wednesday. They could include lingering ballots that came in before 8 p.m. tonight. I hope that's clear. And I know it's it, it's a little bit messy and the lines are, are bleeding into one another a little bit, but that's the way it's gonna have to be at least in the short term. So um, so that's what's gonna happen um, tomorrow night. In terms of the timing tomorrow night, I'm sure some of you are concerned about that. So we are going to report to you as soon as we can when we have a critical mass of counties. That's a know it when you see it kind of test. Um, we want to get you numbers as early as we can. We do want to give all the counties until the close of their business hours to do the tallying and do the processing. So we don't anticipate getting any numbers from any counties before say five or six, maybe even after that. One large county, the largest, Hennepin, has already told us, as is their privilege, that they plan on going quite late tomorrow and perhaps in subsequent days, possibly until 10 at night. Well, we don't want to wait to get you all the other county results just because Hennepin has decided to go late. And that's their privilege and that's that's their right and that's okay. But we wanna get you as much data from as many counties as we can when we have that critical mass. And then we anticipate supplementing that uh, later tomorrow night. So here's a hypothetical and it's only a hypothetical, not a promise as to a time certain, it's a hypothetical. Let's say that we're able by seven o'clock based on the fact that, I'll make up a number, 50, 55 counties out of our 87 have reported results to us of what they processed yesterday, processed. That doesn't mean they all came in that day. It's what they were able to process yesterday. We will report that to you. And then when Hennepin or others who choose to go later, get their numbers in, we will supplement that later. But we didn't think it was right and fair to uh, the people of Minnesota and or to uh, you in the news media to, to wait on Hennepin or any other county, large or small, because they um, uh, exercise their option to, to go a little bit later. So we anticipate at least one supplementation tomorrow night and an initial batch, an initial report as soon as we have some critical mass. And that will just be a judgment call within our office about what a critical mass means. But we, our aim is to get you as much 
information in as a complete uh, form as possible as early as we can and then supplement as needed um, throughout the evening. And then we'll repeat that process presumably on Thursday, on Friday, and so on. Um, so that's just how we foresee this going from here on in. Um, I, I, shifting a little bit from the numbers right now, I wanted to say just a word about general administration of the election. We still have some time yet. It's uh, not quite 4.15. So we still have um, three hours and 45 minutes or so until the polls close. So I wanna knock on wood when I say this, but so far administratively, it has been a superb day. And as I foreshadowed at the beginning of, of, of my talk here, it's really about the absence rather than the presence of things to report. So from the standpoint of traffic, traffic flow was good. I went out to several polling places, East Metro, West Metro, urban, suburban, tried to mix it up a little bit. Uh, and, and at least what I observed, and not just observed when I was there, but asked them about in terms of earlier, there were lines in many places um, uh, at the beginning of the day, even before 7 a.m. when the polling place started. It was in the dozens in most places, not the hundreds. They appeared longer than they were because of six-foot social distancing, a line that might not appear so long in any other normal year, appeared a little longer this year because of social distancing, but it was manageable. I asked whether voters were you know, grouchy about that or whether they were uh, grumbling about that, and the consensus, at least where I visited, anecdotal to be sure, was no, they weren't, they understood, that was part of the bargain. They understood there might be a line. And frankly, the weather was nice. So they weren't, you know, outside in numbing temperatures. So I think that helped as well. Um, there are plenty of PPE and supplies. We asked about that in every polling place. And by the way, this analysis is based not just on my anecdotal visits to, you know, several polling places. We are in touch in real time uh, with 70 plus counties um, in a communication system where we have 70 plus literally in real time. Uh, communicating with one another. So we're getting reports from them. So I should have clarified these aren't what I'm about to tell you is not based on just me picking out a couple of handfuls of polling places. So uh, plenty of PPE and supplies, masks, hand sanitizer, pumps, wipes, disinfectants, etc. Face shields and the like. No shortage of election judges. Um, that is that is um, statistically significant. We did get reports of, you know, one or two no shows. And that's to be expected every election, particularly this but nothing chronic, nothing debilitating, nothing that affected the flow of voter traffic or affected the ability of people to vote um, in, in a smooth way. Oh, Steve, you've muted yourself. If you could unmute uh, before you continue. Great, can you hear me now? We can hear you. No, no significant conflicts to report. So, so at least as of what we're getting from the counties and, and some cities is we have not heard yet of fights over masks, fights over political apparel, uh, fights over eligibility, fights over attempted or perceived voter suppression efforts. Um, there have been questions about people lingering outside of polling places. Who are they? Why are they there? And those have mostly been resolved. Sometimes they've, they've been the results of a misunderstanding, but really, no uh, reports of note um, on, on those subjects. There have been some episodic one-off kinds of issues an occasional but temporary power outage in one place. A few reports, of, very few reports of glitchy machines, um, a signage mishap uh, in terms of what a sign said about where to vote in Northern Minnesota and the like, but those really are one-offs. Uh, and that happens every election, regardless of, um, whether it's presidential or a general election or one in the time of COVID. So, so far, and I know it's only so far, we have three hours and 45 minutes left to go, 
um, things have gone very, very smoothly. Uh, at least that's our perception. And again, with 70 uh, plus of the 87 counties, we're in real time communication with them on a, a communications platform. So um, uh, in terms of our call center, we always run a call center during the uh, election. We have taken over well over a thousand calls today. The most popular subjects tend to be, we asked, and, and we've been told the popular subjects are where and how do I drop my off my absentee ballot? What may I or someone else that I see wear in the polling place by way of political paraphernalia or other politically inspired items? Um, how do I track my ballot? How should I interpret what the ballot tracking tool tells me on the website when it says my ballot is processed? Does that mean it was really counted? What does that really mean? Things like that. So those tend to be or have been today um, the top, uh, the most popular items to talk to in our call center. So um, that rounds out my report. Again, it's more about the absence than the presence of the thing, and that's really good. But point, I just wanted to turn it over to all of you for your questions or comments. Thank you. Great. All right, so that was Secretary, Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon talking about how ballots and especially early voting ballots are going to be tabulated in Minnesota. So not a ton of big updates from Minnesota yet. We have started counting our, um, our races. So as of now, Minnesota has counted only six of its counties. I don't know which ones. Um, no counties are complete. They've done a little bit over 32,000 races. So I'm not even going to share percentages because I don't want to start, um, you know, I just don't want to share anything inaccurate. And we haven't even counted um, 1% of our 4,110 uh, precincts in Minnesota. We've actually only counted 39. So there's quite a bit to go when it comes to the count here. Um, but in a second, we're actually going to be hearing from Rico Morales, who um, is a board member at the uptake, um, a producer who worked with KFAI, um, a community leader, and who's going to be able to um, talk with us actually about voter restoration uh, for former felons, which is going to be, I think, a really interesting discussion for us to be having. Um, is Rico on the line? Yes, I am. Hello. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Rico. Thank you for joining us on air. Thank you for having me, Serene and Katie and WFNU. Thank you very much. Well, we're glad to have you. So, Rico, before we jump into the interview, I would love it if you could just introduce yourself for our audience. I am Rico Morales. I am a Minneapolis resident who is in love with community radio everywhere and community media online as well. I have been a lifelong resident of more than 47 years of Minnesota, born and raised here all my life. I am an indigenous person of the Mexica Nation, Mexican American. Wonderful. Um, and again, just for transparency's sake, you're on the board of The Uptake, which is a sponsor for this show. Uh, we're also grateful for your support. Um, so let's talk voter restoration for former felons. Um, these are one of, so I, I train, um, incarcerated people at Stillwater around community journalism. And so we've been talking a lot about the election and I would love to hear from you, Rico, about sort of what voter restoration looks like to you and what path you see forward for us. And what do you want to see happen in Minnesota when it comes to voter restoration? Voter restoration in Minnesota needs to be more uh, available 
and all the media format that's possible. I know that there are other people, many, many, many other people who have had previous convictions in their lives, and they don't believe that they can ever vote ever again for the rest of their lives, whether or not they are off or on probation, and that is just not true. So there's been very little, um, there's been some, but there's been very little uh, public outreach and public information, public service about speaking on behalf of former felons because it is such a sensitive issue and such a such a such a heart wrenching and, and it touches home for everyone. But former felons are in the neighborhood. We are we are in the neighborhood. We are in the world. We are working. We are living. We are going to school. Going to churches. Building. Gardening. Everything. And we many times. We sell ourselves short. We don't realize how much more of a powerful voice that we have once we have been restored back into our civil rights and civil liberties that we can get out there and be that voice. We can be that face. We can be, uh, be the voice and the face for the community of people who can vote once their felony conviction and probation have been finished and cleared. What do you think voter restoration means to people who are formerly incarcerated, who've, you know, completed their probation and everything and are trying to kind of get back into society? It is a very huge uh, trademark. It is a hallmark of being able to say that someone has finished their probation, they have finished their parole, they have been restored back into society in some ways this is sort of like having your papers. I'm, I've got my documents, I've got my, my voter registration, my polling place, and I can bring it with me or I can leave it at home, but I'm already registered in it. For me, personally, it, it's sort of a belonging, a belonging of restoration into more of a normalized uh, living situation in my environment where we are re-welcoming people who have been disenfranchised or um, punished, rightly so, but there's a restoration process here that is very, the efficacy of restoration and redemption is alive and well in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our community. Yeah. Um, So how are you feeling tonight, Rico? It's election day. It's the end of a very, very long election. And I shouldn't say even the end. It's the end of one phase of a very long election. We don't know what happens after this. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling along with several, many other people who I've been speaking with today, is there's just the anxiety and the fear and the the animosity that's happening because we keep getting these warnings about um, civil unrest possibilities or protection, polling place protections, and, and all this. There's, there's some fear-mongering by the main media sometimes, from what I see and what I believe. Sometimes there's a fear-mongering by the main corporate media that says, you know, there's a, there's a monster around every corner, there's a, there's, a, there's a goblin under every rock, and we, you know, so sometimes you don't hear about the good things that are happening in the neighborhood, the people who are volunteering, the religious organizations, the, who are watching the polls, who are protecting, who are staying within 100 feet outside of the polling places, but yet providing maybe some, some beverage.
is or just being a safe haven in a, in a security sort of a, a, a watch, extra eyes on the ground, so to speak. So that, that is helpful. And that, that, to me, that's, it's comforting and calming in many ways. I come from a lifetime of, of uh, historical trauma, and some of this is really, I just want to say, I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but it's not really new to me. You know, it's nothing new to us. Some of us who have been traumatized our whole lives historically, uh, racially, and with the indigenous communities that I'm in, that I, that I am of, the historical trauma, there's you know, almost, you know, this is almost something that's very familiar. Mm-hmm. So aside from the national races, which are happening and which we're still getting results in on, we're also doing elections for the state house and the state senate. And I know that outside of voter restoration, there's some issues that are really important to you, including what's happening in East Phillips. Do you have any big issues that are on your mind as you think about what happens tomorrow and moving forward in this? Yeah, definitely. We're looking at the Green New Deal for Minneapolis and other areas in St. Paul as well. And the metro here in general with water gremlin issues and water issues from contamination, pollution, from from getting involved in your local communities, whether it's each Phillips with the with the roof people and the water yard or whether it's water gremlin in St. Paul and the issues that are affecting the, the physical environment, your water pollution and, and the, the ground, the saturation, we want people who are we can vote for and we can trust and in the house and, and, and everywhere. We want people who we can speak to and who can hear us uh, from the community, from the from the um, local neighborhoods, such as the people who are fighting and resisting. I know that the East Phillips neighborhood is, has a lawsuit against the city of Minneapolis that's been happening lately. So for, as far as their um, possible contamination and pollution of the neighborhood, which is already contaminated and polluted, it's called the Arsenic Triangle in Minneapolis for a reason. It's a super fun site that was cleaned up by the EPA. Rico, thank you so much for joining us today. So one of the things I'm asking all of our listeners is, the last question is, how you're going to take care of yourself once today ends and we sort of go back to something maybe a little bit less chaotic? The self-care is, is definitely something that I want to make sure and highlight for others is to remember that you will continue living in your body and living in your community in your homes beyond this election, beyond this night, beyond the next result, the contestings or whatever is going to happen today and tomorrow and the next following weeks. We have to live with each other. We have to still see each other and be with each other, whether or not we agree or disagree. We have to still make peace and build bridges everywhere we go, and we have to still work with each other. And that's what um, that's what I believe is the greatest accomplishment of all is when we do sit down at the table with people we may not agree with, we may not have a lot in common with, but we can at least sit down at the same table in the same circle and, and, and share ideas and, and grow together and collaborate together with each other. And so that's the end, that's the end all for me is this is not just a one-night type of thing. I, this 
Thank you, Rico, for calling in and for all your support of this show. As per usual, we're just so grateful to be hearing from you. Um, so, you know, I will definitely be catching up with you, and I hope you keep listening. And as results come in, we'd love to hear from you again. Thank you very much. I'll be talking to you again soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. So Minnesota's historic turnout is in large part due to the phenomenal efforts of community organizers across the state, and especially the Twin Cities. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to speak with Terry Tao, Sita Li Zhang, and Tao Mei Zhang of Maypac, uh, excuse me, MyPAC, the nation's only and first Hmong Women's Political Action Committee. Uh, they recently endorsed, um, back in early October, 19 candidates, and they talked a little bit about the power of the Hmong vote and Hmong women's vote. Um, and so I wanted to share that segment with you. And then later on in the show, we'll have the chance to hear from Terry again, as well as one of the other co-leaders of uh, MyPAC talking about GOTV and sort of what it means to get out the vote in this time, in this country, in this space, and in this moment. So I'm going to play that for you right now. One of the things that we've discussed in depth on this show is the ways in which we build power around social and political issues. My PAC is the first nonpartisan Hmong American Women's Political Action Committee. In early October, My PAC announced the endorsement of 19 candidates for the Minnesota State Legislature. My PAC, which was founded in 2016, seeks to do more than just endorse candidates, however. Its aim is to center the experiences and lives of Hmong women in policymaking and politics. I sat down with three of their leaders two weeks ago to discuss the work of MyPAC. We'll start with Tao Mei Shang, who is the Director of Intergovernmental Relations with the City of St. Paul. MyPAC uh, stands for, my is the Hmong um, spelling of the word my, which is a term of endearment in Hmong. So almost every young woman, if they don't know your name, they'll just uh, say, oh, me, my, you know? And so it's it's just like, oh, my dear, or, um, but it's in reference to a girl. And then PAC is, stands for Political Action Committee. So the Political Action Committee um, for my PAC is um, a way to one, say, we're not only going to bring people to the polls for you, um, but we will also give you financial support. And um, in the past, when we, we endorsed a lot more candidates, our, um, our endorsement amount was uh, $250. But the $250 is, you know, it's not huge, and it's much more symbolic about establishing the relationship that there's some um, financial um, support that we provide. But the value that we've seen most from our um, candidates is bringing people to the polls to support them in their campaigns. And the fact that we have both the linguistic and uh, community relationships allows us to introduce them to people in their districts um, and allows us to interpret the campaign in Hmong to their constituents. And I think the best example um, we have is um, there in 2018, uh, in one of the districts, um, one of the candidates that we endorsed had a Hmong opponent who was a Republican. And so we went and door knocked for her and um, and we were able to then connect with them uh, because we could speak Hmong. And so then and then we could tell her like what Hmong, her Hmong constituents were thinking and saying. And so um, 
And so that was really powerful, the fact that we're bilingual and bicultural and could bring that resource to the campaign, which I'm not sure that without my PAC, she would have had that resource and the number of people to volunteer um, who could speak Hmong for her. Um, and not speak Hmong for her, but speak Hmong in the campaign uh, to reflect the diversity of the campaign. And so um, as my PAC grows, um, our goal is to increase our endor endorsement amount and provide more uh, continuous support throughout um, the non-election years, because that's part of the building the deeper, more authentic relationship. Here's Terry Tao, one of the co-founders who also works as a program director with Nexus Community Partners. After Terry, we'll hear from Tao Mei Shang again. Yeah, it was a group of, of Hmong women who had been, um, a lot of them who have been active in uh, political and policy circles who had actually um, had kind of the same, come together with the same vision of saying we needed to impact policy and politics in, in different ways. And a couple of the founding members actually had thought of forming a PAC. So I just, um, one of the other company members had just brought, you know, convened a whole group of us and said, you know, you, you're someone who's also uh, been working in this field and would you be interested in coming to this meeting? And from that meeting, there was consensus that we wanted to form, form a PAC, um, uh, of, you know, from, from these Hmong women who were involved in these issues. Tao May echoes Terry's comments on the formation of the PAC and talks about the role of the PAC as a disruptor that was trying to build a connection between voting and the capacity of people to influence policy. You know, we were created really to disrupt and, um, and make the connection clear between our voting power and influencing policy because we do this huge push for get out the vote and we bring tons of Hmong Americans to the polls. But after we do that, that seems to be it. So every two years, we bring tons of people to the polls or every other year, depending on the kind of pack that you are, but my pack is a state pack, so it's every two years. And then um, and there's no relationship with the, the person we just elected and how they actually then make really important policy decisions, both in terms of the tax dollars that we contribute to our government, as well as the, uh, the programs that are um, created and implemented and so it's one making that um making that first point of contact of the voting and supporting the candidate all the way to did they fulfill their um campaign uh commitments to the community um prior to being elected and the second piece is um the disrupting of um powers of structure is to say, not only are we going to support you prior to election, but we want to hold you accountable all throughout your election and that we want to do that in partnership with you and not um, just as an adversary out in the community. And so while we're doing that, that building that relationship is really important because many of our elected officials based on their applications as well as conversations is they rely on the typical um, either Hmong American leaders that they see in the community. So they usually go to the typical um, Hmong organizations like Hmong American Partnership. Um, at one point, it was also uh, the, um, now I can't remember the name, it, the Lao, uh, it's not Lao Veterans uh, Organization. Lao Family. Lao Family. Lao Family, Lao family um, that no longer exists. 
And, and now we're seeing more and more that elected officials rely on the other Hmong elected officials um, that do not live in their district, but live in a different district for relationships into the Hmong community. And what we're saying to elected officials is actually, you can build um, authentic relationships with uh, constituents in your community, and you don't have to rely on um, just other Hmong elected officials from other um, districts. And that's really important because um, there's the assumption made that as long as we're all Hmong American, then we all have the same goals and values and perspective when that's not necessarily the case. Um, and that if you look at our list of endorsed candidates from 2016 to uh, now 2020, the, the range in which um, of the candidates that we've endorsed has really changed and evolved based on our learning and our interactions and experiences with these candidates and elected officials. And so, um, and so my PAC has created uh, and is trying to create this uh, movement where you can really connect directly with the Hmong community within your district and not just rely on um, you know, our typical community leaders or figureheads. The other component is, um, this is also just a real platform to elevate the leadership and expertise that Hmong women bring to the table in the political arena, uh, both in terms of substantive policy solutions, as well as authentic community relationships. So um, while we are um, trying to change things externally, we're also doing a lot of internal um, uh, deconstructing of our internalized oppression, right? that we are uh, working together to really say, look, as Hmong women, we can lead together because there's a perception that women can't work together, right? Uh, so that's one. Two, the fact that we are leaders in our own right and we don't have to wait for others to affirm that, um, that lived reality, that we have been leading in spaces for a long time, but there isn't or hasn't been others who are um, lifting us up. So we don't need to wait for other people to lift us up, that we can lift each other up. And um, that in itself is affirmation of both our expertise and our leadership skills. Um, and so that's where the values piece of um, working at, at the intersectionality of gender equity, racial justice, and immigration rights is so critical because then we allow all of our um, identities to be, uh, to to be the core foundation of the things that we care about. And so we're not isolating policy issues, but we're actually um, connecting, intersecting and weaving in all of our lived experiences. Um, and so I think there's multiple facets to my path that make our organization really dynamic, but complicated and hard to explain in like a couple of sentences. Um, Cause doing social movement work or movement building work um, it takes time, and but with a powerful um, handful of women who are willing to really grapple with these issues, um, we can actually make huge strides. And from my POC leaders, the election is one tool to influence people's lives and build community power. This is a flip from many normal political action committees, which are often solely focused on just influencing election results. Here's Sita Lishong. Um, Sita is one of the newer leaders with MAPAC and a program manager at Nexus Community Partners. For me, I think, you know, for me, MAPAC is a way to 
changed the way I think about my relationship with um, my community, Hmong women, Hmong, the Hmong community at large, other um, Black, Indigenous, and, and communities of color. I think there are a lot of stereotypes and stories that are told about Hmong women, immigrants, minorities, and so often those stories are told without depth or context. So my pack for me is a way to change that by adding our lived experience to the political conversation, both in our lives with people we know and um, kind of at that at that state policy level. So the conversations are happening all the time and the election is a way to kind of focus that, but it more is about why we are or aren't political just through the way that we live, I think. As we said at the beginning, MIPAC recently endorsed 19 candidates for the Minnesota State Legislature. Here's Terry Tao again. Um, yeah, we endorsed um, yeah, 19 candidates because we're a statewide PAC. We typically have endorsed it. We can only endorse at the state level. So we, and this year, as we know, both the House and Senate seats are up. And we endorse 19 candidates in communities where there are a lot of Hmong, uh, there's a Hmong population who are going to be supportive of the MIPAC um, agenda, our, our agenda, our vision, and our values um, for the next legislative session. So it was 19 seats we approved, um, um, 19 candidates, 12 of whom are on the House side, seven on the Senate side. And uh, it's similar to what we've done every two years when we, uh, since our uh, inception. Uh, and most notably in 2018, we actually did do a, a gubernatorial endorsement. Terry, maybe you can share a little bit more about our process of inviting folks to apply and then um, because the endorsements are based on those who actually apply, but we we invite people to apply. We don't allow um, everyone to apply. Yeah. And again, as I said, they're from communities where there are Hmong folks who live there. And so I was part of the endorsement committee, in which we sent in invitations to all candidates running in 37 um, targeted areas. And so, and of those, we got um, 22 um, areas that applied. And so we're um, some of them, some of whom it was just, you know, the, you know, one or two, or sometimes all the candidates applied to if that uh, from that area. So that's how we uh, selected our candidates. And then um, we asked them questions about, you know, like their relationships with the home community, you know, how they would continue to support um, and champion racial and gender equity, um, you know, how they would they commit to our values and their legislative priorities. CETA also echoes the endorsement process uh, that it's about building and displaying the power of the Hmong community and specifically Hmong women. I would just add, you know, that the relationship with elected officials and with, you know, institutionalizing our collective power, I think is really important. But I think on a, for me, in the last couple of months, What's been really, what's made a difference to me um, in being uh, more active politically through my PAC is the, the the depth of conversation that we have as a group really gives me a different insight um, because so so often in my community and nonprofit work, I'm thinking about these big groups of people, and to get to this um, this personal level of, of politics in discussion in sisterhood with, with this group has been really great, uh, a really great experience. And then the other piece of it is fundraising, right? So we, we 
<laughs> we don't have a chunk of money to endorse folks. We're out there talking with, with, I'm out there talking with, um, you know, friends and family and not that we haven't had political conversations before, but not necessarily so pointed and to the point where we're, I'm saying, and also give money, you know, and, and I don't bring in huge donors, but, um, been pulling it, you know, pulling at friends and family for $25, $50 gifts. And, and what I'm asking is not necessarily for the contribution, which is great, but also for them to think about what their political statements are beyond voting, because we are a growing and powerful community. And I think we, we still can be stuck in that refugee mindset of like, just trying to take care of our own, even though we've, we've, we've um, gotten to the point of being able to take care of our broader community and then continuing to broaden what that community looks like so we can influence institutions, stand in solidarity with other um, communities and other groups. Um, so it's, for me, been pushing those conversations from people who are already informed, educated, and folks who are maybe informed but not politically active, just kind of continue to push our own level of civic engagement. I think that's been um, the biggest change for me in being involved in MyPAC over the last couple months. All of the leaders of MyPAC that we interviewed for this segment talked about the impact of structural oppression on Hmong women and the many different systems of oppression that these women have to operate in. The power building of MyPAC is one thing, and it's crucial to the work. But because of that reality of operating within multiple forms of structural oppression, there's a lot more work that has to happen internally within the organization to make the work flow. Here's Talme again. I do want to elevate um, the issue around gender, because I think the fact that, um, and, and we're very intentional about saying gender equity, racial justice, and immigration rights because the gender piece is really critical. Hmong American women continue to um, face both within the mainstream culture as well as within our own cultural community, the gender component of really challenging uh, cultural norms in both the American context with and the Hmong context. And that's a really um, important uh, element to raise. And when we talk about fundraising, um, the fundraising piece is to um, really challenge the narrative that Hmong women, um, one, can raise money, um, probably not at the same pace as Hmong men. They have a different social network that is much more expansive and rooted in familial relationships. Whereas for Hmong women, we are uh, creating from scratch um, more uh, relationships and relationships outside of our familial um, relationships. And so all the women on this call and all the women in, in my pack and the core my pack team, um, that's why bringing our different networks to the conversation is really critical because it's not your typical family network. It's a combination of family, friends, and professional relationships. And, um, and the reason why I say that is because uh, Hmong men candidates use the clan system to be able to fundraise quickly and without question. So they'll say, everyone in our clan has to give this amount of money and then everyone does it. 
out of loyalty and uh, reciprocal responsibility. Whereas for Hmong women, we are building from scratch the legitimacy for why we should be giving to a Hmong women's organization. And so in that way, that's why uh, earlier when I said, um, when we work at the intersectionality of these different structures of power, um, that we're fighting multiple structures of oppression, which um, you mentioned earlier. Um, and, and we see, depending on who we're interacting with, what structural what structure of power is at play. Um, and that's really important to note because it's not just, you know, the gender issues that we face at work or at home. It's both then the gender issues. Um, not only is it the gender issues that we, we face, but it's also the racial perception of how Asian women should behave, how Asian women should be engaging in politics. And even though um, something that uh, I've seen at the Capitol, even though Hmong Americans um, are very politically active and show up at the polls, that has not translated to our influence on policy. Um, it kind of stops there and then the policy piece gets dropped off. And so understanding that Hmong Americans can be engaged in the cycle of um, uh, electoral politics and public policy making, the full cycle of it is really um, important. And when we talk about public safety reform and criminal justice reform, um, the conversation around immigration and um, Asian Americans get dropped off. And so, um, and so I wanted to lift up the gender equity component that, um, you know, with the Me Too movement, it's, you can see that the uh, gender oppression in American society is deep. It's really deep and it's really hidden. And um, until recently, there was a lot of shame around it and people didn't bring it up, right? And then um, until the civil unrest around George Floyd, the racial oppression is deep and is, you know, we have deep roots in American uh, culture. And then there's the, the silent element of how Asian Americans are impacted. Um, and when um, at the border, when immigrant children were uh, stripped away from their parents, like infants being stripped away from their parents, and now we're still struggling to connect those infants to their parents, uh, that elevated the conversation um, around immigration and, um, and the nuanced conversations between the different types of immigrants in um, American culture. So, um, so there are multiple structures of oppression that my PAC is trying to fight simultaneously and not breaking them up into different silos. Um, that makes our work super exciting and unique, but also extremely challenging at the same time. I want to thank these leaders with my PAC for speaking with me. It's very powerful to learn more deeply about the work happening in the Hmong community and with Hmong women to build sustainable power and the leadership of these women in moving this work forward. Thank you to Terry, Sita, and Taomei for joining me last week for that pre-recorded segment. And just a reminder that you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Um, I spoke with Terry earlier again today um, in an interview about um, GOTV and what it means to get out the vote in this moment and how we take care of ourselves and how we move forward 
in this moment. So I'm going to play that um, interview, but I'm going to apologize because the audio was a little rough. Um, it was actually with Terry and Peng Fua, who is another leader with uh, MyPack. Um, but the audio got a little rough. Um, there was some drag racing happening outside of the um, space that I was doing the re- recording in. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with some other community leaders. We'll talk about mental health and we'll have some updates for you soon. Um, And I will say uh, Ilhan Omar was uh, projected the winner um, in uh, CD5, but we're still waiting for most other races. So. Hi, Terry. Hi, Pangfua. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Radical News Radio Hour. How are you doing today? Doing good, feeling good. Yeah, it's been a busy day. Wonderful. We have been. <laughs> yeah. So we have you on air tonight because we're really trying to uplift the work of the organizers and the leaders who are really turning out the vote and lifting um, Minnesotans and specifically the voices of people who are historically marginalized in Minnesota up. Um, I would love to know a little bit about you both, though, for our audience, and uh, then we can talk a little bit more about the work. Sure. So Buffalo and I are members of um, the first Hmong Women's Political Action Committee that was created actually in the country called MIPAC, and it's M-A-I-B, PAC, and so um, we are a state-level organization that uh, is, has, uh, is the Political Action Committee endorses candidates at the state level that are in support of our vision and around supporting Hmong women and families in the issues of economic security, healthcare, and education. Wonderful. And then, um, uh, Peng Fua, I know that we talked earlier when we were doing the pre-interview and you had a really wonderful answer about that, kind of the mobilization, and you're a, you're a volunteer board member with MyPop. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing and, and that you were so treasured to speak about a few minutes ago? Yeah, for sure. Thank you um, for having us and allowing this opportunity for us to talk a little bit about my path to the work that we've been doing. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm also I'm, I'm a mother, uh, and then you know I'm a small business owner too as well. And um, I've been doing a lot of volunteer work, uh, especially with our uh, my pack, the uh, political action committee group. Um, you know, we've been doing a lot of phone banking. Um, really working with our endorsed candidates um, and really trying to get out the vote um, too as well. And so um, I know we've been, <laughs> I know I participated a little bit as much as I can with all the distance learning things that we're doing at home as parents. You know, we've been trying to fit in time to, or myself, I've been trying to fit in time to also phone being with my parents, uh, with Terry and uh, our other, my tax sisters. Um, and so that's been a lot of, uh, of work here um, today, this morning, we've been just uh, really, uh, for election day, you know, we've been monitoring more of our social media activities and, you know, what more can we do to push out messages to our community so that they feel safe and that they are um, aware of some of their, uh, the, uh, some of the information about um, their ballot, their absentee ballot, and the, the poll locations and you know, just access to resources that are around them. And so we've been doing a lot of that today. 
Um, and that was fun. We had a really early morning. <laughs> and I, I know Terry could talk more about how early she got this morning to really start her work. Uh, and I didn't go to bed until like 4 a.m. this morning. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's not just nurse. Apahua is also like our social media guru. So we did like a noon hour today, kind of a Facebook live about, you know, you know, if you're in line by eight o'clock. So we're still sending out messages of, you know, GOTV. You know, we're reassuring people that it's safe to go to the polls today, right? And so, um, you know, some of us have been doing, um, working on um, some other campaigns. I this morning was doing some election protection work, you know, getting some getting voters out to the polls for our communities especially our elders they need not just language support but they also need transportation and possibly even um curbside voting because a number of them may have mobility issues and so we are learning a whole lot about what are the issues voters are actually having to try to even at the polls to access and make sure their voices are heard wonderful that's, that's really powerful work, just this idea of the curbside, like what do people need, and then meeting them in that moment to get them that, or to get them as close to what they need as, as they do. Um, where, as you move into today, and, and now, you know, tonight when this piece airs, what, what do you think you're going to feel? I mean, we're trying not to feel nervous, right, too, too nervous, because I think, you know, you you know, the energy you put out, I think a lot of other people are feeling this way too. But I also know that we're also very tired, right? We have been calling. And um, so we're sorry, we're some of those folks who keep calling people, but we're calling our community members. We're calling all over the state, right? We're calling because we know it is such a critical year. You know, we, we understand what's at stake with this election, right? And we just want, and we want to make that clear to other people too. So with, in a lot of ways, the nervousness, I think the tiredness might surpass the nervousness at this point. I don't know about you before, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I think, um, yeah, definitely surpass that exhaustion. I, I, I'm definitely just anxious. I'm really actually thinking a lot about my kids and how they're feeling. Um, to in this moment, and I've yet to actually crawl down to the living room to, <laughs> to check in with the, uh, uh, the last like hour here. But um, you know, moving closer to eight o'clock, and we're really—I uh, think I'm starting to feel excited and nervous at the same time. Um, I, I also want to say too that um, it was—I will say—a lot of the folks I've been seeing, um, you know, a lot of folks have been women who've been leading different, who've been a part of different campaigns. Obviously, there's candidates themselves. But today, I really couldn't do a lot of the work um, without some of the um, nonprofit, you know, um, sisters and, and brothers and, 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 and other folks who, who, you know, like it's been a real collective effort. And I think the really amazing thing is because we've been able to, you know, it's been my network that I've had to rely on. And they're boom, they got me a, you know, a, somebody with transportation right away. Those things have been tremendously helpful. So I think it's the power to community, the power to being in relationship with each other. And so, and then now just really using that to really say, hey, you know, this is just getting today done. And, you know, we need to collectively move forward because it's just, we all know today the voting is the first step, but there's some long-term work. And I think, you know, at MIPAC, we certainly get it, right? And so we're, and we're there too. And so we want to, you know, continue to do this and build relationships so that we can work on policies that help all of our families. That's, I think, yeah. a really good point that I wanted to, I was going to ask, like, what does tomorrow look like for you, for you both? 
I, I have some work to do. It's, it's a little bit of both. I have, I have some work, but otherwise, uh, I, you know, it's some doing some reflecting, you know, kind of relaxing, hopefully getting some sleep. But um, it is, and it is, it's, you know, it, it'll depend. We know results might not come in right away. For those that we do, we'll be doing, you know, take a break, take a breather, but then we'll be right back, you know, you know, strategizing, you know, figuring out how do we communicate with folks, right? And so it's, you know, it's it doesn't it doesn't end. I think you know we'll just you know take a deep collective sigh and then get right back. We'll always see right back up. We're moms, right? We know. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with Terry. I think, you know, for myself, you know, same with Terry, it's just uh, work is waiting, right? But today is a day where I feel like it's just so important to uh, really have my full attention, uh, trying to cover, um, if not, you know, as much as what my sisters in my pack are doing, hopefully I can cover the emotional piece of just being here um, so that folks can check in. Um, I've been just trying to send messages so that we could just check in with each other. Um, I think emotionally tomorrow, um, I just, uh, you know, especially we are talking about looking for hope too, right? And conversations I've been having about just needing, um, some emotional support. How do we, how are we going to practice self-care? And I think tomorrow I'm just going to really be thinking about, um, you know, the people that I love and just in really being, and knowing that we're loved, uh, no matter what happens, um, and I know that the women and the, the people around me um, are going to be there um, to to together to face whatever comes, right? And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I pre- I really appreciate Buffalo's point because I think 2016 a lot of us felt very lonely, right? And so very. Alone, and I think this time we just know that there's, you know, um, there's strength in numbers, right? And so, um, and I think what what I've been really thrilled by too is all the other folks too. There's strength in home sister numbers, all of our other sisters of color and indigenous sisters, right? And so, um, white sisters, and then the, you know the brothers and the other folks too, the, the transgender, um, you know, folks too. So I think that's where you know I don't I don't feel so alone. But my whole brings up a good point too. So you know we. You know, we 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 have to fight the fight together. We have to also be together and the joy and the pain. Yeah, for sure. I can't tell you guys enough, like how these women, like Terry King, Tommy, you know, um, uh, Teresa, Sita, and uh, Nucci have been. These women are diehard. Like they're, <laughs> I can't tell you how long, you know, how long they stay up during the night just to continue to make phone calls, complete tasks, or this work leading up to today, you know, and so um, it takes a lot of emotional, it's, a, it's an emotional toll, and so I think sometimes we have to, to just take a step back and breathe <laughs> and just know that we can be in this moment together and that we're going to get through this together, and so I think an emotional piece uh, is, is a huge thing to set up tonight going into, like, the future, like, what, what could we do to remind each other that we're here, that we're in this together? Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I've been asking people a lot lately, like, how are you going to take care of yourself? We all know that the election day diet is often made up of pizza and ice cream and more caffeine than we should probably be ingesting in a lifetime, let alone a day. 
what is taking care of yourself going to look like tomorrow and what would you recommend to all the rest of us who are sitting here kind of frantically doom scrolling down Twitter, you know, to, to kind of move past today? Uh, yeah, I, um, you know, I think I'm really going to just uh, stay as grounded as I can. Uh, and, and when I say grounded, I think my, you know, my kids is kind of the first place that I go to to just remember, um, to remind myself that I need to take care of myself and that there are these little uh, six year, you know, six kiddos running around just waiting for mom and for us to just show up and be here with each other. And so I think, you know, as simple as that is just to know that I can, um, you know, stay, stay grounded. My kids can remind me of that. And, um, yeah, because I, 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 yeah, it's kind of uncertain where we're at right now. It's just a little scary to think about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it'll be, you know, like, I, you know, yeah, I'm probably not, you know, as much social media, so trying to do the gym scrolling, mm-hmm. but call, calling people. I know at, at my workplace, we're actually going to hold some time to have a conversation about the election, right, to speak on debris. So I really appreciate, again, continued holding space for people, holding each other, um, you know. Um, you know, I you know, I read, so, you know, and, you know, just some music. I read a really, um, a really simple one, just to make a meal, right? Just make a meal, right? So no more pizza, so maybe you can actually, you know, have something healthier, so something like that really gets your mind off of stuff, and I think it'll be, it'll be really helpful to do those practices. I absolutely agree. Sorry, I, I love that you mentioned that, Terry. I was going to say, I've been burning a lot of my meals that I've been cooking. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try not to do that tomorrow. <laughs> Once we're able to focus again. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, both of you. I really appreciate it. I so admire the work of my pack. Like, the work that you all are doing is so powerful. I did a, we actually aired the segment I did last week already on this show. We just Thank you so much uh, for uh, to Terry and Pinkfu for joining me earlier today for that pre-recorded segment. I mean, whatever happens in Minnesota tonight, the GOTV turnout is um, incredible. I mean, the votes are just I can't even I can't even fathom like the turnout that we've had. I think we've actually already uh, we had already had a higher turnout in Hennepin County than in 2016. I mean, it's just amazing. So we are going to take a short musical interlude. Um, We have uh, Tracy Chapman's Talking About a Revolution, Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah, and then Almost Like Praying from Lin-Manuel Miranda, Alex Lacamoire, and dozens of Puerto Rican artists. I tried writing out all of their names, but there was quite literally 20 or more of them. So uh, we'll start with uh, Tracy Chapman. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around for a promotion Don't you know Talking about a revolution So 
gonna raise up and get this, yeah. Poor people gonna raise up and take what's there. There was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this: the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift. The baffled king composing. Was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. And she tied you to her kitchen chair. And she broke your throne and she cut your hair. And from your lips, she drew the heart. 
baby, I've been here before. I've seen this room and I've walked this floor. You know, I used to live alone before I knew you. And I've seen your flag on the marble arch. And love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken heart. Remember when I moved in you And the holy dove was moving too And every breath we drew is hallelujah 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 Maybe there is a God above But all I've ever learned from love Was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you And it's not a cry that you hear at night It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah Hallelujah
so much I, I really love the musical interludes they give us an opportunity to check out on what's happening in the world around us just a few updates on the big races uh, we're still waiting to hear about most of the local races so we're still waiting to hear back about representative rena moran's race um we're still waiting to hear back about most of the local races so we will update you as those come in i know that the local races are important to all of you a big picture nationally uh lindsey graham has won uh re-election in North Carolina. Mitch McConnell has won re-election in Kentucky. John Cornyn of Texas has won re-election. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has won re-election. And again, Ilhan Omar has won re-election. That's all according to Democracy Now! as well as AP. Um, 
the Democrats also picked up a Senate seat and lost a Senate seat. Um, they're also counting on Arizona's Mark Kelly. Um, there is some interesting results coming out of Arizona, according to the New York Times, which, again, we're not counting, um, we're not making any projections from non-associated press sites, but um, I will say 75% of the precincts have reported, and Biden is currently leading in um, Arizona. So we have online with us um, Dr. Amy Marshall, who is a writer for The Uptake, who's a psychologist, a therapist, and is going to speak with us for a minute about mental health and self-care in the days after the election and how we take care of each other um, no matter who wins, um, you know, just in the days moving forward. Uh, Dr. Marshall, do I have you online? Yep, I'm here. Wonderful. Thank you so much for speaking with us so late at night. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're glad to have you. Um, so, first of all, how are you feeling today? Uh, I'm doing all right. I did have a full caseload today, um, but actually speaking of mental health and self-care, I, I did take tomorrow and Thursday off. Well planned. Well planned. Um, and so we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We might not no. even have legitimate results until Friday. Um, even as races are being called, there's still so much left to know. Um mm-hmm. What do you think tomorrow's going to look like? Um, I think in a lot of ways, the uncertainty is can be worse than the outcome that you don't want. Because even if the person elected is not who you were hoping for, kind of when you know what the answer is, you can plan. You can say, okay, what are my next steps? How should I move forward? how is this affecting me? What do I need? But sitting with, we don't know. And sitting with, we don't know when we're going to find out. And you're kind of just in that holding period. um, I think that that might hit extra hard right now than it would have previously, because a lot of this year has been holding period. And we don't know when, you know, with, with uh, quarantines, with lockdowns, with COVID, uh, numbers always changing. It's It's been a lot of holding period, a lot of survival mode, a lot of, well, we'll see when we when we find out. And this is kind of a that magnified times a thousand. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we go into tomorrow? I mean, what are do you have any tips on how we just kind of keep our wits about us? Um, I think we just we have to be prepared for that uncertainty. And if it, if it is an option to take a step back, just, you know, have, having a lot of grace and compassion for ourselves and, you know, each other and just knowing that I think everybody's going to be going in with an extra short fuse because a lot of the resources that would go into just regular day-to-day stuff is going to just go into sitting with the not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um day-to-day taking care of each other do you have any favorite sort of self-care um recommendations either for yourself or for the people that um are listening i mean it varies it's, it's kind of a question of what is what what brings you happiness as an individual um it's definitely a time where where maybe a lot of a lot of coping that is not the healthiest um is usually the most tempting because you know, for example, um, it, uh, say alcohol um, will make you pe- a lot of people turn to that because it's like, well, this will make me feel better in the moment very quickly, but kind of long term is not the, the greatest 
So if you have the the resources for it, picking, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time, you know, to talk to somebody I care about or go for a walk or something like that, versus like the kind of short term fix, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard a lot of people wanting to color. There's been a lot of stress shopping. Mm-hmm. I heard somebody today call it um, hope scrolling, hope refreshing instead of doom scrolling. Oh, oh, I like that much better because and social media is one of those tricky things that. It is a huge source of support, especially right now. You know, a lot of the people that I can't go see in person, I can touch base with on Facebook or on Twitter. So it's it's hard to make that call of do I want to, you know, unplug completely so I'm not checking the numbers constantly. But also it is a great way to connect, especially when we're all distancing. Yeah, I definitely think um, right now is uh, take care of each mm-hmm. other and we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, and no matter which candidate wins, there's going to be care that needs to be given to the people around us. Um, if you have any last thoughts that you want to share or any last recommendations, uh, I'm sure many of our listeners would appreciate it because I don't think um, we can all afford to keep stress shopping. Sure, sure. I know I can't. Um, I think that, that a lot of it is just being prepared for we really don't know when it's going to be over. And, you know, you had mentioned Friday we could know before then it could be it could be a week from now and we're still waiting to figure it out um i it's uh, <laughs> makes me feel old to mention this but you know in in 2000 it was it took quite a while before we knew for sure and um maybe i'm maybe i'm remembering it more fondly than it was because i wasn't an adult yet at that point but i feel like it's a lot more contentious now than 20 years ago mhm um As we really appreciate you speaking with us today, we yeah. want to get you on air just for a few minutes to talk about yeah. like how we take mm-hmm. care of each other. And I want to make sure that we have time um, mm-hmm. as results come in. There's so much. Well, I can't believe we have less than an hour left of this episode and things are still wow. are just starting to come in now. It's been mm-hmm. quite the ride. But thank you so much for mm-hmm. speaking with us, Dr. Marshall. I know you have a website. If you want to share that with people so they can look up more of your information, um, that would be great. Sure. Sure, it's dramarshall.com, uh, doctor, the abbreviation, Amy is A-M-Y, and then Marshall, M-A-R-S-C-H-A-L-L, um, the C-trip people up a little bit, um, but I have, it, it's a lot of resources for therapists, but a lot of the, the self-care coping skill kind of stuff is, is pretty relevant. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Of course, of course. Um, good luck with the, rest of your, with the rest of the night. Thank you so much. So I also had the opportunity to speak earlier today with Anika Robbins, who's the founder of Black Votes Matter Minnesota. Anika spent a lot of time doing GOTV and civic engagement around the election. Um, before I play that election, uh, that interview, though, that short interview, I think it's just five or six minutes, is um, we want to remind you of our call-in number, uh, 651-313-5125. So we have just under an hour left on this show. You can call in, share your thoughts on how today felt, what tomorrow might look like, how you're feeling, how you're taking care of yourself in this moment. We definitely want to be hearing from you. So again, that number is 651-313-5125. So I'm going to play that uh, interview with Anika Robbins right now. Really grateful for the opportunity to speak with her earlier today. Anika, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great, Serene. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'm glad to have you on air on this uh, very weird day. 
so for our audience, it would be great if you could just introduce yourself, Rick. Sure. My name is Anika Robbins. I'm the founder of Black Folks Matter Minnesota, and um, I'm also chair of the Minneapolis Civil Rights Commission. Wonderful. And so you have been doing a lot of DOTV work, and just for transparency's sake, you put out a voter guide. I helped edit the voter guide and do some writing just so that people and know what's going on. did a damn good job with it, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful voter guide. I'll make sure to include the link in the episode notes. But you do a lot of GOTV work. You do a lot of civic engagement work. Can you talk a little bit about what that election work has looked like for you? Uh, for you? Well, you know, thank you. You know, in an election year such as this where we have had to contend with a pandemic, um, you know, mass mandates, shutdowns, um, you know, pivot and unprecedented are the two words that keep uh, surfacing throughout this year. And so our work has been focused on registering voters, educating and engaging voters on the process, um, trying to restore confidence um, in the electoral process, um, spending a lot of time engaging youth, Generation Z and millennial voters to, to remind them of their power through the vote. Um, it's been a very rigorous year. We've led a grassroots effort, um, still being able to, to register folks, you know, clad with PPE, masks, and hand sanitizer. <laughs> Um, it's, it's added a different layer and dynamic to our work, but, you know, we're very proud of our work, um, and, and we're excited at seeing the, the huge turnout, so really excited to see what the outcome would be, albeit nerve-wracking. <laughs> um, and what are you feeling like today? You mentioned nerve-wracking, and I think we can all agree with that one, but how are you feeling today? You know, surprisingly, I feel good. I feel optimistic compared with how I felt yesterday, which was very, you know, full of anxiety, uncertainty, um, and really also just um, distraught over just the energy in our country of late. You know, I'm, it's painful to see our country be at such odds um, against each other and you know, we're seeing the true colors of people, and this race seems to have moved beyond just, you know, a change in leadership. It seems to be polarizing around race, around gender, around culture, around class and income. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping to see some kind of unifying element emerge um, from this race. And the beauty of it is that we are seeing that in the turnout. Um, I know that over 100 million people have already voted across America. Minnesota is leading in early voter turnout. Um, and so there's much to be excited and thankful for. And um, so I'm, I'm optimistic, we'll say, so far. Now, the waiting game for the, <laughs> for the next few days, the anxiety may return. Yeah, I think we can all, uh, <laughs> we're all there. We're all unified in that feeling. Exactly. Uh, so what does tomorrow look like to you? Ooh, uh, tomorrow looks a lot like today, right? So right now I'm having, you know, breakfast with my son. He, he joined me um, to go vote earlier this morning. And, you know, I'm trying to reclaim my time right now, spending quality time with friends and family, you know, 
I have been very tunnel vision um, for the past, you know, seven to nine months. And so it's just about rest. It's about eating well. It's about breathing deep. <laughs> um, it's being prayerful. It's being hopeful. And it's also thinking through what next steps after the election, after the results, you know, like what, what does our work need to be about in the coming months and in the coming years? Um, we've really been trying to engage voters, particularly black male voters, to demonstrate how uh, their voice matters and how they can engage in these processes. And so it's, our focus really is about having these conversations around bridge building, community building, um, you know, and, and empowering communities overall. But for the most part, the next few days will be rest. <laughs> Wonderful. And honestly, with the work that you've been doing, you deserve those two days and more to rest. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Thank you. And, and speaking of self-care, yeah. so any tips for people as they try and make it through this moment and into the moments after? Because the racial justice work, the engagement work, that continues regardless of who wins. Do you have any advice on how people can take care of themselves in this moment? Well, I think, you know, as a health and wellness professional as well, um, you know, the the most important thing that I could convey is the importance of listening to your body. You know, so when you feel like you need to rest, do that. You know, I would also say, you know, time management is important. And so not, you know, when you recognize those feelings of anxiety or being overwhelmed, recognize it, honor it with rest honor it with drinking water, um, eating fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, I have a yoga practice, a meditation practice, and, you know, I work 12, 15, 17 hours a day, and so I have to make sure that, you know, I have those times for, for rest. I have those times to spend with my son and with our family, you know. And then, of course, there's, there's, for me, you know, I'm married, you know, I have, I'm a parent. And so just managing my role and then also carving out space and time for myself, whether that's listening to music, hot baths, um, and among other things. But it's really important to get that water and that rest in and strengthen our immune systems, especially with, um you know, the coronavirus. Um, so just with that added layer of uncertainty, just being mindful of all of those things and, and showing grace to ourselves is really important. Um, thank you so much to Anika for speaking with us on air earlier today. Um, Anika is a really wonderful organization. I was really pleased and proud to have worked with her on the Black Votes Matter Minnesota Voter Guide. You can check that out online and also request a paper copy, which would really just be a memento now, but would still be a really wonderful one. Um, we still don't have a lot of results. Um, there are some school board results that are in. Um, 136 uh, precincts uh, reporting, or 135 out of 136 precincts reporting. Um, again, we're not, I mean, we could technically probably project right now. We're not. But just to say that um, Kim Ellison, who's a school board member at large and the incumbent, is currently got 61% of the vote in comparison to Michael Duenas. Might be mispronouncing his name, and if so, I apologize. Who's got 38%. Um, Sharon Elamine is up against imp 
incumbent Carrie Jo Felder with 55% to Carrie Jo's 43, um, almost 44. And then um, Adriana Cerillo is up against Krista Mims um, for District 4. Um, Adriana has got just under 50% of the vote, and Krista Mims has also got um, just a little bit more underneath um, 50% of the vote. They're both in the 49% range. Um, and then Ira Jordan, who's in District 6, is, does not have an opponent. So he's he's currently um, got 98% almost of the vote. So he's up there. Um, in Minnesota, according to the Secretary of State's website, 41, per, uh, 41 of 87 counties are being reported. Only three counties are complete. Um, Joe Biden has got and Kamala Harris have got just over 60% of the vote. Uh, Donald Trump and Michael Pence have just under 38% of the vote. Um, None of the candidates, um, the third-party candidates, have any major um, seating there. Um, We still do not have anything on um, some of these St. Paul races, including Representative Moran, who's in this area. So uh, we're still waiting to hear back about those races. Um, It's going to be one of those nights where I think we're just waiting waiting until we can't wait anymore for results. Um, same thing in Hennepin County. Um, looks like 422 out of 425 precincts have been counted. Um, Jeff Lund was up against Devonna Pittman for um, the Hennepin County commissioner seat. Jeff is currently at 50%, just over, almost 51. Devonna Pittman is um, just under 49%, 48.7%. Um, so the races are really just kind of unfolding slowly it feels like i think for a lot of people right now and a lot of the democrats that i'm hearing from sort of like 2016 um the map is still looking pretty similar um we will say arizona might turn out to be a very interesting surprise they've got 75 percent of arizona's reported um biden is at 53.7 trump is at 45 percent but again we're still waiting for numbers to come in still waiting to figure out what's going on um in the St. Paul commissioner race, I wanted to bring that up because that's in this area. Um, there's still, we still don't have results. We're still waiting for counting, but we are paying attention, trying to figure out what's going on. Wanted to make sure that we're we're focusing on that. Um, just also our congressional races. Again, we don't have complete results. Um, still waiting for results in all of those races. Um, they've only called um, Ilhan Omar. Um, right now, there's only... 32% of the precincts counted, um, 1,321 out of 4,110. Um, I believe that um, Dean Phillips was declared um, the winner in his precinct, 249 precincts out of 248 out of 249. There's that total of 4,000 precincts, but obviously every candidate doesn't have uh, representation in each. Ilhan Omer was declared a winner in hers. Um they're still counting in District 6. They're still counting in District 7. That's a big one with over 1,000 precincts left to go. They're still counting in District 8, which has 700 precincts to go. I mean, we're going to have a long night. And and just a reminder, folks, we don't know what's coming. We don't know. We've been talking about this for weeks that the results are aren't going to look the same. We should not expect quick results. Um, I know that there's a lot of our listeners um, and a lot of people who follow the uptake, who follow the, this show, who 
are going to be worried about their family and their friends and safety and all of these things. Um, tonight, the reason we've been talking a lot about mental health, self-care, community care is tonight's just a night to hold on to each other. We don't know what's going to happen. But we have power in each other, power in our relationships, power in our communities. And it doesn't matter what systems we're up against. Um, we have power in each other. So just hold on to the people you love tonight. We don't know what's going to happen. We could, we might not even get results until Friday. Um, so just, you know, hold on and hold yourself up and know that we're holding you up at the same time. Part of what's going to be happening tomorrow, again, we might not know, have results. In fact, they're saying Georgia had a flood at one of the um, precincts. Um, and while ballots were not destroyed, according to the reports, um, they're saying it will be a delay on when we hear back from kind of a major segment of, of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we, tomorrow, the work for justice is going to continue regardless of what we do tonight. doesn't matter what we do tonight. The work is going to continue tomorrow. I had the opportunity to speak with Brett Grant, who's the Director of Research and Policy for Voices for Racial Justice earlier today. Uh, Brett is a former board member of The Uptake um, and my organizing partner. Um, he's got a really important sense of where we go tomorrow, no matter who wins what races, and just what it means to, to hold on to each other a little. Uh, here's that interview now. Hi, Brett. Thank you so much for joining us on air tonight. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, we're really glad to have you. Now, I've already let everybody know that you're a former board member with the Uptake, that about your work with Voices, that you're, you know, that we're organizing partners together, but you're a racial justice organizer. We know that the work for racial justice continues tomorrow. What does tomorrow mean to you? Tomorrow is really straightforward. Um, like you said, Racial justice is going to continue regardless of who wins. Um, you know, we, we have our eye on some some races and some things going on in the Senate and the House um, here in Minnesota, but, you know, we're still going to be doing our, our working on coming up with our legislative agenda and our work for the upcoming session in 2021. And we're still going to be working on our research, our community-based research projects aimed at food sovereignty and food security for communities of color and indigenous communities in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So what did today feel like to you as an election? You know, honestly, not, not much. Uh, I, I was busy all day. I had meetings. Um, I got a chance to check in with some of my coworkers and you know I think people are feeling a little little anxiety and a little anxious as they wait for results to come in but um for me you know I it doesn't it hasn't bothered me or been that big of a deal because I just know that the work we do has to continue and um, so, yeah, it hasn't it hasn't affected me as much as I think it has some of my coworkers, mm -hmm. um, for good or for good or bad, you know. Mm -hmm. So, how do we move forward? Well, I think we gotta move forward in solidarity and in unity, and you know, 
when I think about our work at Voices for Racial Justice, you know, we say we honor the culture. Our, we envision a world without racism that honors the culture, wisdom, knowledge, healing, and power of black, brown, indigenous, immigrant communities of color and indigenous communities. And we've got to work to do that, you know, and a lot of that work takes us being able to work in solidarity and to be uh, to be able to develop principles that allow us to work in unity. And that's often hard work because we come with so much struggle of just trying to find our place in a world of white supremacy that continues to tear us down. And so often when we come together, a lot of that trauma that we've experienced is on display. And so we've got to work hard to, regardless of what is happening with white supremacy, how do we support and take care of each other in our community so that we can um, advance and reach the goals that we have for each, each one of our communities? <clears throat> I know that I didn't ask you this in the pre-interview, but is there any work at Voices happening right now that people can support? Yeah. You know, we're working on a food preservation project. That's one of our community-based participatory action research projects. And really it's aimed at, you know, during this time of COVID and the pandemic, when so many of our communities were really attacked and continue to be attacked by this virus, how do we start to take care of ourselves? You know, um, you have groups that are now trying to store food, but in a lot of our communities, I know in, in particular, I'm thinking about my own community, the African-American community, there's so many underlying health conditions that if you're not storing the right foods, if we're storing a lot of foods that are high in salt, they'll just continue to kind of exacerbate those health conditions. So we needed to go back to some traditional foods and some traditional ways of preserving foods in our different cultures so that we could have access to good quality foods in case, you know, we do need access to foods in case we are unable to go to, go to the grocery store or in case we do go to the grocery store and all that's on the shelves are, you know, foods high high in sodium and salt and that kind of kind of stuff. So that's a that's one of the projects we're working on, um, and it's and it's really a, a a project all across the state. We have partners all across the state in the Twin Cities and in Greater Minnesota from different cultural communities who are all kind of wanting to focus on culturally specific foods and and just ways and and bringing back that knowledge that really has not been lost, but um, has been kind of hidden. And so, yeah, that's one of the projects that I'm really excited about at Voices. Wonderful. There's always the quilt. There's always the quilt. Yeah. Um, and for people not listening, the quilt is a, one of our sponsors, The Uptake, works in partnership with Voices to publish the quilt magazine and a podcast that we'll be launching soon. And we'll make sure to have a special announcement on that in the next couple of weeks. Thank you, Brett, for speaking with me today. I'm so grateful. I'm always learning from you and always, always so grateful when I have the opportunity to hear from you in these ways. Likewise, Serene. I'm always learning from you, and thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, you have a peaceful and healthy election night, 
and I hope we all get some sleep tonight. Yep, you do. Don't say it's too late. Yeah, well, you take care. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brett, again for joining us on air. Brett is my organizing partner. He's somebody who helped um, we work together to co-publish the quilt. Um, he's also the smartest and most amazing racial justice organizer I know, and I would take it to the bank. Um, we're still waiting for results. They're just uh, we're just hearing that Milwaukee is not expecting a complete count until tomorrow, which means we really can't count on any results from Wisconsin tonight. We're still waiting to hear from uh, more from Michigan. Uh, results are coming in really slowly there. Um, they've only counted 42%. Um, again, we're still waiting to figure out all sorts of things. Um, it's just a slowly moving uh, evening. Uh, we have on the line uh, Marty Owings, who um, I knew once a long time ago when I used to work out of the Capitol Press Corps and who I'm really excited to have on, on the air. Um, hi, Marty. Are you there? Hi, I'm here. How are you? I'm doing all right, Marty. Long time no talk. Yeah, it's so good to hear your voice. It's really good to hear from you, too. What a strange, yeah. um, I don't know, weird world. I knew you 10 years ago when you were doing radio, and here I am doing radio. No, that's awesome. That's, that's great. Yeah, Katie Katie was posting on social media about the show tonight, so I, um, yeah, I thought I'd share some thoughts about election night and you know i covered a few elections here you know obviously and you did as well in the in the state but national elections are something very special and they're interesting to watch so yeah and you know it's a weird night like we're i'm literally uh what's it called we're not calling it doom scrolling we're calling it hope refreshing and i'm still (laughs) i'm hope refreshing um the new york times page for arizona and the Associated Press pages for Wisconsin and Michigan, um, basically every 15 seconds. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's helpful. I think you have to look at the metadata. And, uh, I mean, for me, Florida was an unfortunate loss for Biden when he had such a chance. And really it's going to come to down to Dade County. And I think he lost some of the um, Hispanic vote there. Yeah. And so that helped Trump a lot um, within his margins. But where Biden is performing well is in suburban areas where Trump traditionally uh, did better in 2016. So so that's somewhat hopeful. And I know people are um, worried because the numbers uh, don't look as good as they should have or people expected more of a landslide. But if you really look closely at the metadata right now and what's going on, like in Michigan, which is basically red uh, in, on most uh, most sites. It really is because they haven't counted like the um, you know Detroit vote yet, and yeah. a lot of those stuff. Where, where Trump did well was he, he Trump is doing well in same uh, same day voting. Mm-hmm. So that's where things have to catch up, and it's a weird election because they're being they're being counted in a different order than they usually are, right? So. So some states at first are counting um, the early votes, and and then other states are counting the early votes after they count the same day votes, which which is very strange, right? Because yeah. early the early voting favors um, you know Biden by a long way. But um, I mean, right now I'm I mean I'm I'm looking at Reuters, and they have biden at 192 to 114 because they just called washington oregon and california which gave biden a huge boost i expect trump will catch up 
once they call Florida and if they call Texas per Trump. But just the fact that Trump, um, that, that Biden made, made, made some inroads in those suburban voters uh, is a good sign, and mostly suburban women. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's very encouraging if you're a Biden supporter. Yeah. Um, and let's face it, why, why wouldn't you be? Because uh, nobody wants four more years of darkness and fear. Yeah, so, there's people who are going to suffer um, if Trump wins. So we've heard it from a lot of people going, well, we survived four years of Trump, and it's like uh, not, not everybody did, you know. And, yeah. well, Biden is not a perfect candidate. Um, I've been saying this a lot, but there are systems at play, like structures. As organizers and people, we know how to go up against the structures under a Biden administration better than this Trump administration where all the structures are being made to look in his image. Um, it's a very different way of trying to um, do politics if, if Trump wins. And honestly, I don't know what happens if if he wins. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting how, how it could play out. So there's a couple of, I mean, if the Senate swings, I, I want to say it's three or four seats in the Democrats' direction, um, a, a Trump uh presidency looks a lot different than if it if the senate stays in the uh in a democrat and a republican you know uh side of the aisle if because if the democrats own uh the senate and the house uh there's no chance uh you know anything trump does apart from executive order gets done and then all that's going to be challenged in the courts and then uh, the only chance he has is really because he stacked the court. He wanted Amy uh, Barrett in there because he knew what could possibly happen if if, if the Senate flips. So, um, because they'll definitely, I think they'll they'll try to re-impeach him. They'll try to, you know, uh, you know, they'll look back at those charges and the new charges and everything. What happens if we find out that 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 Trump committed some crimes on his way to being reelected? You know, so. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of ways this could play out, but um, I think for folks that are a little bit worried right now, I think you remain optimistic. Uh, lots of votes haven't been not been counted yet. Uh, we all figured that Trump would uh, declare victory early on. He he was up, um, and he just doesn't have enough votes to do that. To come out and say that he just does not have enough electoral mm-hmm. votes. So the fact that it's even right now and close. I, I think is good. I, you know, I know Democrats and, and people who don't want, who are just anti-Trump, forget what party they're in. They don't want, they didn't want a close election, but here's where we are. You know, this is America. It's polarized. It's, it's horrible in a lot of ways. When you look at this, you know, you, you, you're yeah. like, what is wrong with half of America right now? Yeah. That you can't get rid of a bigot and a racist, you know? Uh, yeah. So it's, it's tough to see. Yeah. I'm so hopeful. Uh, I'm glad you are, and I'm glad to hear from you. So what does is, what is tomorrow look like for you? Like, what is, you go into tomorrow, what does tomorrow feel like? What does tomorrow look like, no matter who wins? Well, I think for most Americans, you have to think life goes on as it, as it would normally go on. Um, I know there's going to be parts of our society that are going to be, you know, up very upset either way. I mean, one of my daughters reached out to me and said, you know, I... I'm, I was worried that if Trump lost, uh, you know, assuming that he might win, if he loses, what will his supporters do? How will they act out? And, you know, what people are worried about that. And then on the other side, 
you know, um, Trump has been, uh, you know, promoting this narrative that, you know, it's going to be a lawless nation under Biden. So so he's got all these people manipulated. And unfortunately, I, I don't think America looks much different tomorrow. But what more importantly, apart from the sadness if Trump wins and the, um, you know, the the elation if, if Biden wins, but. If we win the Senate, if the Democrats win the Senate, I should say, and if and if uh, people who support Biden win the Senate, then then things look a little bit different. But really, what you have to look at, I think, is what does America look like a year and a half from now, or a year from now, with Trump in office and the Senate still in Republican control? I mean, what? How how does that look? I mean, what you know, we didn't think it could get this bad. How much how much worse is it going to get if Trump thinks he has a mandate? from the American people to do whatever he wants. Yeah. That's that's concerning. Yeah, that definitely is. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think? America oh, God. What do I think? I think that I've, I've been kind of saying this all day, that I think that no matter what, tomorrow we got to hold on to each other. I teach at a, online for a, a small liberal arts college in northern Arizona, and that school has been targeted by militias, including the Oath Keepers, who have been who are really upset that we have um, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter teaching at the school. I teach in social justice and community organizing. They're not pleased with that. Um, they've called uh, the school seditious and say that we don't have a First Amendment right because of um, we're anti-American and we're acting seditiously. So therefore they have the, I mean, they've, there was a Black Lives Matter rally on the courthouse square, the town square in September. And, um, planned by a high schooler and they showed up with guns and were spitting on these young people. I mean, it's been such a, I think traumatic year. Um, it's hard for me to see, I'm going to put this out there. I'm a journalist, but I also think that we need to be honest about our biases rather than hiding our biases. That's just who I am. It is hard for me to look at an electoral map that has got this much red on it and say that, um, and see this many people going, um, you know that saying we've been hearing, um, you might not be a racist, but you're okay with racism? Like, I don't believe that. Yeah. If you're okay with racism, you're a racist. Like, that's, I don't have a line there. Yeah. For me to see that many people going at Trump's cruelty and going, I'm fine with that, it hurts me to see. And I know that um, other BIPOC folk who are going to be looking at that map are going to be similarly hurt and that there's people we need to hold on to tomorrow, regardless of who wins. Um especially if there's a Trump win. Um, and if there's a Biden win, I think it just means we need to get to work and figure out how we push him and keep doing the work that needs to get done to make things more equitable. Yeah, I mean, I mean everything you said makes perfect sense to me. I, I agree with you, but looking at the map of the United States, like if you did an infographic on like population centers versus like rural votes, you know, in most of the states where the, where there's population centers where people gather and live together and have to communicate with each other and are exposed to people of a diverse um, color or race or you know religion or whatever, um, that, that that those people uh, su- don't support um, Trump's uh, you know agenda of bigotry and racism. I mean, they understand the. The importance of a nation that's built on that diversity and that that diversity is our hope and our strength and maybe our only hope at this point. I mean, because America is really ready to tear itself apart. And they used to have a saying like back when I was in the Army, the only thing that can beat America or kick America's behind is America, you know. And and it's 
it's true. We're just tearing ourselves apart. And this, and for people out there listening, this didn't start with Trump. I mean, this has been they, they, and I mean, like the GOP specifically, and their propagandists and the people that control them have been working on this for decades, literally decades, starting like before Ronald Reagan and trickle down economics and and um, you know the the wealth disparity and the, and the taxation laws and the manipulation of the government and how they're owned by special interests now. That goes for Democrats and Republicans. It's just that Republicans have you know chosen to punish the poor, uh, make racism a, an issue, and you know try to find division, exploit our differences rather than yeah. um, celebrate them. And that that that's what's really sad about the America you look out your window and see. Yeah. A lot of people say, you know, like like you might be born a liberal, but you're, when you get older, you're one robbery away from becoming a Republican. Yeah, which is. You know, sad, but um, I'll tell you what, the older I get, the more liberal I get. So I was born liberal. I'm probably pretty close to socialist now. So whatever that means, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it's unfortunate to see America twisted up the way it is right now. It yeah. just, it's, just, it's a mess. And it, and it hasn't been getting better. You no, know, Katie and I did, when we were doing Radio Free Nation, our show uh, back in the day, you know, Katie and I would talk about these these issues all the time and we basically started the show in the wake of trump's election and um to see to see where it's gotten us now you know and that every day it's just a new low with that guy is it it used to be at first it was disturbing and then for a while it was kind of like this can't be real you know so you went through all the stages you know anger depression acceptance you know (laughs) bitterness but uh but i don't yeah just uh yeah, I, I don't mean to ramble, but it's a mess. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, I'm really, A, I'm glad you called in. B, I take a measure of comfort in knowing and like knowing your analysis and hearing from you. That makes me feel, I don't know, like that there's, um, it's hard to not get caught up in the rat race of election politics and electoral politics. So don't when know. I hear from you, it makes me feel like we kept saying it all up till this morning. Don't take the first results that come in. Take your time with them. We need to take yeah. our time, and then it's like the second they start coming out, you're like, it's a marathon, and I need to get to the end right away. Yeah, well, and people in America expect, you know, instantaneous results, but that's not how elections are. And I, you know, if I could tell one pe- one thing to people out there, when there's a suggestion that um, that there are elections aren't clean or anything, but um, you know, when, when when Trump stands up there and says, well. You know, if I lose, it's because the elections were fraudulent and, and, you know, accuses people, states and good citizens of, you know, manipulating the vote. I'll just say this. In the Coleman Franken trial, which, you know, I covered, the uptake covered it. We were up there every day straight for like, I don't know what it was, three or four weeks. Um, the end result of that Coleman Franken trial, which was which was so close because they were, you know, 100 votes apart or whatever, they examined thousands and thousands of ballots, thousands of spoiled ballots, um, ballots that were questionable. The lawyers argued in front of the Supreme Court. We, we took ballot by ballot and looked at them carefully. The one thing after all the testimony and all of the ballot examination, all, all of the election judges coming up there and talking about the election, the one thing they found for absolute 100 percent certainty is that Minnesota as a state has absolutely got uh 
a great election system. People with integrity and honor, uh, regardless of their political ideologies, treat it with a seriousness and a, a professionalism that that is simply uh, you know beyond reproach. There is no widespread fraud in the American electorate. There is no uh, falsehoods with that. There's no people trying to jam the ballot box. Uh, there's nothing like that going on at all whatsoever from the examinations that happen over and over again. So that narrative is a straight lie, mm-hmm. and and it's meant and it's intentionally meant to discourage voting and manipulate the electorate and the people out there who go to vote and to place and cast doubt in Americans' mind minds about about this integrity of the system. And I tell you what, it's it's not only wrong to do that, it's it's dangerous to do that because mm-hmm. there's gullible people, there's people that are easily manipulated out there, and they believe that stuff, and mm-hmm. they'll act upon it. And just like when he says it's okay to be, there's very fine people on both sides, like it's okay to be, you know, come out, I got my proud boys and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. That stuff just encourages the kind of um, the, the, the kind of lies and, and narrative and bad behavior that that uh, you know that ultimately it's you're cutting off your nose to spite your face as a nation. You are actually punching yourself in the gut. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I, I don't see where that ends. So so that's about our democracy being durable. Yes, Trump put it to the test. Yes, Trump will continue to put it to the test if he wins. But in the end, um, you, you have to trust that we can do better, and we have to get we have to get out. I mean, out of the two-party system if that's what it takes, or put candidates up there that are not the lesser of two evils. And yeah. that's going to be tough to do when they when they own the system. So some parts of the system they, they have to come down. Yeah. And I hate to say that, but that they have to be. It's not just about it's not just about an easy path to that. So. Yeah. Including well, the Electoral think? College. That's something we need to reconsider. Well, I, what what if it breaks in Biden's favor this time in the Electoral College? He loses the popular vote but wins the Electoral College vote. You know, yeah, but I mean, look at what happened four years ago, too. I mean, I just think it's such a risk. So you, so you, and, and then would you, I'm just out of curiosity, I'm wondering, because would you like have, large issues as a national referendum like some countries do like would you put things like civil rights to a national vote or um knowing how polarized our country is and what 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 that might mean no i would no i don't think so no No, i wouldn't want to do that either but i just think that i mean it doesn't maybe it doesn't have to be a popular vote system it doesn't have to be an electoral vote but i think there has to be like a re um, examination of how we create equitable voting. I mean, just thinking about the representation of it. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about what if there's a tie and it goes to the house and you have 269 each and each of the house acts as its own, like each of the states acts as their own body. And then suddenly a state like Montana has again, once again, equal power to a state like California. Like there's gotta be, um, a, Countries all over the world vote in ways that they can represent their populace. We need, to, I think, we need to be able to relook at our population and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people support your idea, and it might take your generation uh, to change that because obviously uh, my generation is not 
the baby boomers, I mean, and that's, you know, just putting that out there. They haven't been the greatest stewards of the government, you know. So I think it's going to take your generation to change some of those things. And, and, they, and they're meant to, like, we have a mechanism called amendments. You know, we can change things. We can reform. Um, our, our government is supposed to be adaptable. And democracy, as we know it in America, has always been an experiment. The one, the one real and true stain that we have to heal America from is, is, is the systemic racism. Yes. And it's past historical wrongs to people of color and all that stuff, that, and indigenous peoples as well, mm-hmm. and, and right those wrongs. If America Amen. would get busy healing instead of tearing itself apart, um, well, there'd be no stop in America. We'd just be the greatest place ever to be. And uh, yeah, but we need to get busy doing that that hard work and focusing less on the things which divide us. And that's why a Trump presidency is so uh, miserable to so many people. And yeah. um, you know, yeah, you know, and why so many people want to see a change. Now, I'm speaking strictly as a a, a commentator now, not necessarily as a journalist. I. Katie DeSalle, um, who I think is in the studio with you, yep, um, is uh, uh, just recently celebrated a birthday. So I want to give a shout out to my number one homie. Happy birthday, and, Katie! Um, Thank you. Yes, and she um, she's just the most awesome person, um, and was our co-host for like I don't know radio whatever Radio Free Nation lasted on on WFNU, and it's still alive, but. Um, She's just the best, uh, greatest person. I think she runs the show now over at WFNU, so she's awesome. I'm glad she put you on the air, and thanks for giving me some time and, um, you know, a voice to the old dudes. Uh, shout out to those guys. And, um, you know, let's uh, let's take America back in the right direction if we can and, and build a better, stronger, more together America, more, uh, more on – more on what makes us alike and less on what makes us different. More on repairing our historical wrongs and less on focusing on, um, you know, his, uh, just hate and anger and all those things. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's do that. Let's do that regardless of who wins. And let's leave it up to ourselves individually and however which way we can do it collectively. Mm-hmm. Right. No, um, I'm so glad that you called in, Marty. Thank you for speaking with us. I... I always appreciate hearing from you and I'm, you know, I'm so glad for your analysis and also just your, your work and your hope that, that makes me feel, uh, I'm just really glad you called in. Oh, absolutely. Hey, do you see Mike uh, McAtee any time or any of those guys anymore? Yep. Mike's on the board of the uptake. Oh, cool. And you're still doing some stuff with them, even though you're teaching at the school. I'm the executive director. Oh my God. That does not surprise me. You're so, I think we we have the same alma mater. St. Kate's. St. Catherine's. Yes, you did. See, you're Katie. Yep. yep. I'm a Katie. When I, tell people, when I tell people that, they, they go, no, no, you're not. <laughs> I say, well, wait a minute. They have a graduate school. You know, they let guys in there, right? And they go, oh, no. oh do they? So they're always surprised to hear that. Well, but yeah, it's great talking to you. This say was wonderful. Thank me. you, Marty. We'll stay in touch. You bet. Take care and, and give Katie a hug from me. Will do. Thank you. Care. All right, take care. Take care.
All right. That was uh, Marty Owings, who's a local community journalist, who's uh, just a really smart guy who's able to call in and help lead us through some of these information. So what we're hearing right now from officials is that we will not have results from Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, or Michigan until um, any time between tomorrow and Friday for each of those states. I mean, we're really not um, expecting uh, results from them. Uh, Arizona is still sitting at 75%. Minnesota is still sitting at um, 50 or 75% of the population counted. Minnesota, 54% of the population counted. Uh, we're still waiting for, um, there's no results from Texas so far. We're still waiting for Montana, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, Ohio, Georgia. Um, I mean, Texas and Florida right now look like they're presumed to go to Trump, but we still don't have that information either. We're still waiting for Maine um, and, again, North Carolina, which is presumed to go to, to Trump. So it is... Um, it's, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have all that information that I know that we want that I think would make a lot of us feel better to at least know what tomorrow is going to look like. Um, but I've said it before, we have each other and we have power in that. So we just hold on to each other as we move into tomorrow. And I, I think there is something to be said about tomorrow is going to look like whatever tomorrow looks like. But whatever tomorrow looks like came from a very long time ago. And it's not going to come down just because one candidate's elected or another. The work is going to continue regardless of what we're doing, regardless of how we move forward, regardless of who wins. We're going to go forward in the same way that we've come to this point and in the same way that we do move forward. Um, we're also still waiting. Um, I know that many of you, I'm sure, are curious about some of the local races here in Frogtown um, and in the St. Paul area. We still have nothing uh, from Ramsey County on uh, Representative Rena Moran, um, who represents... Um, 65A. We are still waiting for its um, presidential. Joe Biden has got 55% of the vote. Donald Trump has 40, just over 41% of the vote. Um, again, still waiting for numbers to come in there. That's 61 out of 87 precincts. Um, in the local races, we're, we are starting to get numbers in uh, Betty McCollum's race. Um, Looks like they've counted 52 out of 225 precincts, so other parts of uh, Ramsey County and um, the the district, District 4, but just not the parts that we're in right now. Um, Betty McCollum has got 53% of the race, and Gene Rectus, Gold the Republican, has got 40% of the race, and everything else is just sort of unfolding slowly. I mean, we're still waiting for results in most of these races. Um, I know that I'm furiously clicking on... Um, the New York Times coverage of Arizona. At this point, um, Biden has got 209 electoral votes. Donald Trump has got 118. And you need, uh, just a reminder, civic lesson, you need 270 to win. And if there's a tie, 269 to 269, um, the founding fathers in their um, infinite, infinite, I don't know, intelligence and wisdom decided that having a tie, like an electoral system that would have a tie was a good idea. Um, it will go to the House, but it won't go to the House to the individuals. It will go to the House um, to each of the states, as which will act as kind of one delegate. So North Dakota, for example, would vote to break the tie. California would vote to break the tie as one vote each. 
So a lot of those rural states, the Wyoming's, the North Dakota, the South Dakota, the Nebraska's, all these states that have voted, you know, red, for example, would be likely to go for a President Trump. There are more of those red states with smaller populations than those blue states with big populations. Um, we're coming up on 1030, which is when the show's about to end, and I'm really uh, wishing that we had more results for you. Um, it's just been such a strange election night. I feel like sometimes we think that results should come quickly, but they don't. Uh, and they never do. I mean, that's just what, you know, we get results, uh, but they're not the official results. Those never come in the night of. We're still waiting to figure out what things are going to look like. We're still waiting to hear from places like Georgia, um, North Carolina, and I'm repeating myself, but just to say, hold on to each other, be patient with the results, and keep your eye on Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. We know that one of the Republican strategies has been to say that votes being counted after midnight will not count. And a huge chunk of votes will be counted after midnight. So just keep your eyes open. Keep your eye on the ball. Whatever you're voting for, whoever you're voting for, just keep your eye on each other. So um, we're going to end today's episode. Um, so just a reminder, another gentle reminder, and I'm going to say this a few times, um, you are listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. This is a special, our first special election episode of the Radical News Radio Hour. My name is Serene Saade. I'm your host for this episode. I'm also the producer for this show. We're sponsored by The Uptake. You can find more information about them at theuptake.org. Um, they, I work there as executive director and very grateful. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Radical News Radio Hour. You can find me on Twitter at C Miriam. That's C M I R I A M. You can email us at the Radical News Radio Hour with any tips, recommendations, and any questions. Now, for anybody who wants to replay this episode, you can listen to it on Spotify. I'll get it up as soon as I can. And our usual time is Thursday from 11.30 to 12.30. We'll also have it podcasted on all of the normal podcast sites. And I should say you can listen to this episode on any of our normal podcast sites. Um, And we'll be talking about self-care, community care on Thursday. I hope to hear from you. I hope you reach out via Twitter or Facebook or email. And we're going to take you out from one last song today. Um, It's Phil Oaks. I ain't marching anymore. To the Battle of New Orleans At the end of the early British wars The young land started growing The young blood started flowing But I ain't marching anymore For I killed my share of engines In a thousand different fights I was there at the little big horn I heard many men lying I saw many more dying But I ain't marching anymore It's always the old to lead us to the wars, always the young to fall. Now look at all we want with a saber and a gun. Tell me, is it worth it all? For I stole California from the Mexican land, fought in the bloody Civil War. Yes, I even killed my brothers and so many others, but I ain't a marching anymore. 
For I marched to the battles of the German trench In a war that was bound to end all wars Oh, I must have killed a million men And now they want me back again But I ain't marching anymore It's always the old to lead us to the wars Always the young to fall Now look at all we've won with a saber and the gun Tell me, is it worth it all? For I flew the final mission in the Japanese skies Set off the mighty mushroom roar When I saw the cities burning I knew that I was learning That I ain't marching anymore Now the labor leaders screaming When they close the missile plant United Fruit screams at the Cuban shore Call it peace or call it treason Call it love or call it reason But I ain't anymore